Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as I shared with a few people this past week, it's a little weird to be writing a sermon on rest during VBS week. Um, <laughs> those things don't quite go together. Um, I'd come here at night and this place was filled with kids and things happening and there were um, plenty of things going on in my own home and the work of the church does not stop because it's VBS week and so um, the week was really full. And so sitting in these words this past week, it was like the Lord kept saying to me over and over again, clean, rest does not start when the work finishes. Rest does not start when the work finishes, but rest is a sign of your trust in me. And so as we open up God's word this morning, let's just pray together. God, we do thank you for your word. And sometimes it convicts us and sometimes it sets us free. It tells us of our story and it reminds us that we are part of a bigger story. And so God, would all of those things happen this morning, not because of what we say, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your work in us and through us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I remember uh, just a few years ago um, when I knew something was just a little bit off um, in my spiritual life. Um, Jacob was a newborn and I was really exhausted. He was our third child and so with three kids at home, I was pretty tired, which was only part of the problem. Um, <clears throat> but there were just um, attitudes coming out in me sideways. I felt disconnected from my life. I felt like I wasn't loving the people in my life who were most important to me well. And so I ended up starting to meet with a spiritual director. And after about one meeting, she said to me a very spiritual director type phrase. She said, Colleen, your life is like a swirling storm. And I think God might be inviting you to stillness so that the dust of your life can settle and that you can see God more clearly and with more clarity. And then she invited me to a weekend spiritual retreat filled with alone time and silence and rest, and I very maturely and immediately said, no way, <laughs> no way. Um, not only could I not imagine exiting my life for a weekend, but the idea of two days in the middle of nowhere with just me, my thoughts, and Jesus just freaked me out. Um, and to make a long story short, she backed down, but she did not count me out. As with each meeting, her invitations changed from two days, and I would, no way. And then she would say, okay, one day. Ah, no. The next meeting, she said eight hours, and finally she got me at four hours. Four hours is a place I could start. Four hours felt manageable. Four hours was my baby step. And so I spent four hours at the retreat center just up the road in the quiet and the stillness and the invitation of God and I allowed the dust of my life to settle. And here's the thing, I was sitting with my blank notebook and my Bible there in the quiet, just me, my thoughts, and Jesus, and you know what I did? I drew a picture. I drew a picture. Um, and it's just something that's between me and God, but in that moment, it meant so much to me. And I just sat there in the quietness of the room all alone, no one else was around, and I looked at my picture, you know what I did? I just laughed. I just laughed with so much freedom. I laughed because my picture was far from pretty. I laughed because I am not an artist, and my experience of God often comes through words, not through pictures. 
But through this picture, I saw God and I found him with so much clarity in my life. And here's what drives me crazy. I found God and it's exactly what my spiritual director said would happen. And then I got to that place and I didn't want to leave. And I found those four hours to be an absolute delight. And I look back on that time with such tenderness and I've been baby stepping in new ways ever since. Friends, the truth is that even children need to be taught to rest. There was a comprehensive study recently done in the UK that says kids learn to rest the same way they learn to walk, the same way they learn to run and talk because rest takes practice. We need a ritual, we need a routine in order to learn to do things like fall asleep. And so infants learn by habit over time, sometimes many more years than we wish they would take, to um, learn the rhythm of falling asleep, to cease fighting sleeplessness. So a regular bedtime and dim lights and bath time and book time, all these things are signals in their brain that allow them to develop this biochemical path to rest. And adults aren't much different. If rest is learned through habit and repetition, friends, so is restlessness. So is restlessness. And here's my fear. These habits of rest and restlessness, both individually but as a community, they form us over time. They shape us over time. And so for just a little bit this morning, I want to take a moment to just give you like a five-minute practice. And throughout this series, we want to give you just five-minute practices that we can practice in this place, but then we can take home with us and do it in our everyday lives. And so there's a little postcard in your bulletin, and I want to invite you to take that out for just a moment. If you have a pen, you can grab it. You might want to jot down some things, but that's not a necessity. Um, Because this morning, the five-minute practice that we're going to do along the lines of rest is a practice of silence together as a community. And I might even say the word silence, and there might be something that just comes like creeping up in you like, no, right? Like if I were to tell you we were going to take away your phone, you just want to like grab it right back. And that's kind of how we've been wired over time. And so the practice of silence is one of the spiritual disciplines. And it's a discipline because it takes work. But the thing is, as we do it, these things get easier and easier in our lives. There's two quotes on the top of the postcard, one from Dallas Willard, silence and solitude, the two most radical disciplines in the Christian life. The second, Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, without silence, it is almost impossible to have a spiritual life. And so this morning, I just want to invite us as a community to just a minute of silence. You think we can do a minute? You guys aren't very confident in our abilities. I think we can handle a minute. I think we can do it. Um, But we're going to practice silence. And here's what we're going to think about this morning. This morning, you might need to just sit and be quiet before God. You might just need to be quiet before God. And let me say, when you practice um, silence as a community, the goal is not total silence because it won't happen, right? So there's gonna be coughing, there's gonna be rustling of paper, there's gonna be you know, a kid crying. All of that is a part of not containing the noise, but silence is about allowing our inner lives to quiet down, 
and become open to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to invite you to that for just a moment this morning. And one other thing I just want to offer to you, maybe you're not someone who feels like you can just kind of sit and be quiet. Maybe you just know your heart is filled with distractions, and as soon as you get quiet, you're, you're going to grocery list it, you're going to think about something that happened earlier this morning, you're going to think about your day and the week ahead, and I would just invite you to, as those thoughts come, to just grab hold of them, see them as distractions, and just bring, them, bring it back. Um, but you might need a phrase or something that is helpful to you to practice some silence, and so Kevin's going to put the verse, be still and know that I am God, up on the screen. And I want to invite you over this minute to do a simplifying prayer. And so just in your heart and your mind, you're going to say, be still and know that I am God. And then you're going to take a deep breath. And then you're going to say, be still and know that I am. And take a deep breath. Be still and know. So this is a simplifying prayer. And every time you repeat that phrase in your mind, you're going to just take a deep breath and just allow your heart and your mind to settle. And this should take you about a minute. And then afterwards, we're just going to take a couple moments to notice some things as a community, to pay attention to what God might be doing in our spirits, and to practice silence. Friends, this might not be comfortable for you. This might be really easy for you, and all of that is okay. And so Kevin is going to start the clock when I'm done talking, and we're just going to take a deep breath, and we're going to get comfortable in our space. You can close your eyes. I'm not afraid of having you close your eyes. (laughs) Um, And we're just going to take a minute. So let's begin that minute together. All right, friends, that's a minute. Congratulations. (laughs) So we're just going to take a minute. Um, I see you guys out in the lobby. I know we're all talkers, but I want to ask you two questions. What did you notice? What did that bring up in you? What did you notice about that this morning? Anyone want to share? That practice of silence. Yeah, Bonnie. It's calming. You felt the dust of your life kind of settle. Uh-huh. Yeah, anything else? What did you notice, Wendell? I just noticed that God is Reminds me of the verse that says, in him we live and we move and we have our being, right? He's all around us and sometimes we just need to kind of be open to what he's doing. Yeah, that's really great. Anyone else? Yeah, Sharon. I felt like I was getting more relaxed. Getting more relaxed and settled. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Catch that? End of the simplifying prayer does not say do, it says be. It's a good word. Yeah, anything, any, anything surprising to you this morning? Anything surprise you? Anyone feel like a minute is a long time? <laughs> you guys are good, no. Not at all. Okay. 
It was too short. That's great. I love that. Well, some of us baby step, Wendell, and others of us just dive right in, and that's okay. All right. Um, friends, I, uh, in my own life, um, have always been wired kind of as an achiever. Um, maybe you're wired similarly. I have always wanted to accomplish things and get things done. And I notice in my spirit, and definitely in our culture, this kind of go, go, go mentality that, that kind of always fuels my life. And this go, go, go mentality, I realize over time, I am living life like it all depends on me. I'm living life like it all depends on me. And I've realized that I am missing out. And maybe you feel that way this morning as we talk about rest. I am missing out on what I feel like is a part of God that can only be experienced in stillness. That only can be experienced in slowing down, in finding the space and the time to connect with him. And so I want to ask you, how's your space, how's your heart feel this morning? As we practice that discipline, what did you notice about your spirit? Do you feel like your engines are always revved? And this is like regardless of your personality type, being extroverted or introverted. Um, I mean, so many of us, what we do for our job means that we are always on the ready. We are always moving and doing and producing and responding. We live under what it feels like to be in the tyranny of the urgent. It's just constant. I mean, for others of us, it's our social life. Like, we love people. We want to be around all the people all the time. And so we might work during the day and we pack our nights and our weekends full of people and stuff to do. Our social calendars are endless. Our front door is like a revolving door. And these are all good things, but we never find that space to quiet down. Or maybe for those of us that are parents and, you know, kids of any age, but especially like if you have young kids, I mean, does it ever end, right? Does it ever end? And some of you are in that other stage of life where you're taking care of aging parents and so you might have kids in college um, or launching into adulthood and then you have parents that have doctor's appointments and health issues and decisions that need to be made. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I could really use a vacation from all my vacations. I have had so much fun this summer. (laughs) I really need a break. That was just exhausting. I would love to talk with you later today. Um, And so briefly this morning, I just want to give us a couple of things to notice, and this is specifically about um, Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, as a way of understanding, helping us enter into this idea of rest. And in the Old Testament, we find this different word that people use to describe rest. It's a fancy word. You know it. It's called the Sabbath. It's called the Sabbath. And so in Exodus 20, we're reading the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, and these commandments kind of provided a guardrail for the people. And so we read Exodus 20, verses 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to look to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day." Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it 
holy. Now here's what's going on, friends, because we need to understand the context just a little bit. The Israelites have been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, and God, through this supernatural act, um, rescues them. And so now over two million Israelites, they're trekking out of Egypt. God splits the Red Sea in two, and the children of Israel go through dry land. The water comes and covers up the enemies, and the people are just on the other side of this enormous event, and they keep trekking, and they get to Mount Sinai, and their leader, Moses, I am really fast-forwarding a big story right here. The leader, Moses, goes to the top of the moment. He has this incredible moment with God, and he comes down, and he has these 10 commandments. And now here's what I want you to remember. God had already rescued and redeemed his people. Because sometimes we interpret the Ten Commandments as like salvific. Like these are the things that people needed to do to get right before God. But instead, we need to remember God had already done the rescuing and redeeming. The Ten Commandments were given to the people as a way the people could live into their new relationship. Because this was a new deal. They didn't know what this meant or what this looked like. And so the first four commandments were the things the people needed to know about their relationship with God, and the last six commandments are the things they needed to know about their relationship with each other. And so in verse 8, we're looking at the fourth commandment, the relationship with God, when it says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. And that word remember in this context doesn't mean like, hey, remember, so it's on your calendar, like, ding, it's Sabbath time, right? That is not the thing that God is talking about. That is part of it because we're going to need to make space. But what this verse is really saying about keeping the Sabbath holy is we're actually supposed to set it apart. We're supposed to treat it differently than we do the other six days of the week, And just in case you're wondering, this day does not have to be Sunday. There's nothing in the Bible that says Sunday has to be your Sabbath. My grandma, many years ago, reminded me of a story about her dad. At a time where her dad didn't know Jesus, um, he was delivering papers in Chicago. And um, he always felt like he was looked down on because of his job and because he had to work on Sunday mornings because getting out the Sunday paper was like a really big deal. And so one afternoon, a local pastor came to visit him and a relationship sprung up between the two of them when my great-grandpa with shame shared that he had to work on Sunday mornings. And the pastor responded, I do too. And that response not only spoke dignity to my great-grandpa, but it encouraged him to be a part of a church even though Sundays couldn't be his thing. And now what a legacy, right? How the trajectory was changed because of that one comment. And so friends, Sunday doesn't have to be your day. But when God tells us to remember, he's instructing us to set aside time for him. The next verse starts off and it says, the Sabbath should be a day of no work. In other words, the other six days work hard. You have been created to work. You've been created in the image of God who worked hard and he created the whole world. And so we need to work hard. But on the Sabbath, this is a time where we're setting aside time for him, a time of rest and worship to do our day differently than we do the other six days of the week. 
And so take a moment and just think about it. What does not working like look for you? I love that we don't have to get nitpicky and make rules to see what this looks like, but we can just invite God to show us what, what not working looks like for us. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates words in the message about rest, and he says, cease striving. What does it look like for you to cease striving? Then verse 11 starts with this word for. which is a word that should be a signal to us that now God is gonna explain why he commands us to rest. It's like he knows that we're all hearing what he has to say, but we're not quite getting it. Um, Parents, maybe you have these moments, you're explaining something to your kids and they're just giving you the smile and nod, like, and you're thinking, they don't have a clue what I'm saying right now. And so you just kind of talk a little bit more and say a little bit more, and that is what God is doing to his people right now. He's gonna give them a little explanation. And with this, these words, he takes us back to the creation story. And he says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Okay, so here is the question. Did God rest because he was tired? Did God rest because he was tired? Was God like, man, creating the world is exhausting. I just need to put my feet up. I'm gonna need a mani-pedi, a cozy blanket, a little Netflix. Like, this is what God sounds like in my head, right? Did God rest because he was tired? No. Like God rested because he was setting the rhythm for us as a way of increasing our trust and our dependence on him. One of the things I loved reading this past week um, that Jewish commentators um, often write that God did not stop creating on the Sabbath. I loved thinking about this. This was the first time I had heard this. Several Jewish commentators have suggested that on the seventh day, God created menuha, which is the Hebrew word for rest. But it is better translated as tranquility or delight. So God didn't rest in the sense of like taking a nap or just chilling out. Instead, God created delight. God celebrated and he delighted in his creation. I mean, friends, in this way, God's rest on the seventh day, it parallels the birthing process, right? I mean, you can imagine that time after a child is born and the work of the labor is finished and the bonding begins. And now that baby is in the arms of its parents, right? No longer just a child in their minds, but external from its parents and its very own being. Similarly, it is in this day of Menuha that many Jews believe is when God takes us into his arms and he holds us and he says, isn't she beautiful? Isn't he beautiful? And he just wonders in our existence. Friends, we are not created mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally to work 24-7. We're not built for it. So God says to us, follow my lead. 
Follow my lead. He doesn't need to rest, but he's setting for us an example of slowing down, of getting still and resting in order to enjoy the bigness of who God is. And so in order to think about this in more practical terms, I want to invite you to think about what is your rhythm of rest? What is your rhythm of rest? You know, for me, it's kind of um, an issue when people start talking about balance in life because frankly, it doesn't exist. Like we think we need to be doing all the things in equal levels all the time, and that is not reality. The reality is we need to think about life in terms of what our rhythms are. As we enter into this fall, what are the rhythms that we need to pursue in order to be the people that God wants us to be? And I believe one of them is rest. But in order to do that, we need to look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, I need you to rest daily. I need you to take a moment and take a step back and remember that you are not God and I am. So what does your daily rhythm look like? I know as a staff we talk about this and sometimes it's about walking the dog. Sometimes it's over a mug of coffee that we just take a moment and we bring our thoughts to God. What does it look like weekly to have a little bit more time and to sit and to spend time with God? I have a a chair in my sunroom and I sit there and I have often the sun, even in the winter, coming in and I have my mug of coffee and a couple commentaries and my word and, and I just know that that is my space with God. That is just my space. What does that look like in a weekly rhythm? We see Jesus taking breaks monthly or quarterly, yearly, getting away with his people and spending time with God. The second thing we need to do, friends, is practice saying no. Practice saying no. So in order to practice that together, I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say this phrase, ready? I want you to say this phrase, that sounds fun, but I'd rather do nothing. Right? Turn to the person next to you. That sounds fun, but I'd rather do nothing. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Mark Harder, did you do it? I saw how you put the kids on the line this week. (laughs) The other thing, I'm shopping late at night at Target last night and I found this thing I wanted to show you guys. This is a no button. This is what they're selling at Target now. You can hit it and it has 10 phrases to say no. N-O, no. No means no. No, 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 no. Isn't that great? This is great. I'm gonna put this on my office for when Mark comes in. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna get in trouble for that later. We're gonna keep moving. Um, There is this incredible law in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, I did say that. Um, And it says this, but he says, when you reap the harvest of the land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigners residing among you. I am the Lord your God. I mean, that's a really interesting command. And if you think about it, essentially God is saying like, don't do 110%. 89% will kind of get you there. And we don't hear those kind of messages today. But God is saying, in order to be a good steward of what you've been given, in order to provide for the people around you, you need to limit your productivity. You need to create margin in your life, and you need to practice saying no. 
And so what does this look like, friends? You might need to be creative. You might need to get some wisdom around this because when your boss comes in your office, you just can't say no to the first thing he or she asks you to do. Um, so you might need to think about that, but what does it look like to not be available to your phone after 7 p.m.? That might need to be a real conversation for you. And trust that God will work in the margins of your life. Friends, saying no requires trusting God, and over time, it helps us develop our dependence on Him. Don't plow the whole field. And the last thing is this. Think about your rest practices. I get asked so many times, what do you do? What do you do in order to rest? What do you do on your Sabbath? There's one big umbrella and then one filter I use. And I, I talk about not being productive. I don't do things that are productive. And usually my filter is, is it restful and is it worshipful? Is it restful and it's, is it worshipful? Um, Dan Allender, uh, who's a pastor, wrote a book on the Sabbath, and there's four kind of other filters he uses to describe rest, and I just want to throw those out to you, and you can kind of leave today and maybe want to have a conversation with someone about what this might look like for you. But the first thing he talks about is curiosity, getting to spend time being curious about the world around you, being able to kind of follow where your day takes you instead of just following an agenda and following the plan that you normally have for the other six days, but allowing curiosity to guide you. The second thing is delight. Delight. Maybe it's doing something like a worship song, and sometimes I throw a worship song on YouTube, and I just keep listening and allow that to fill my space. Um, this past week, I was looking for a clean stand-up comedy act to play on video for our gathering um, during VBS week, and so I was like sitting in my office laughing up a storm all by myself, and honestly, it was restful and it was so worshipful. It was fantastic, the delight of just being where I was and enjoying that space. The third thing is feast. We need to remember the Jews started off their Sabbath with a feast. And this is like the easiest form of rest, right? To eat and to enjoy a meal. So this summer, if you need to grill a steak for Jesus, friends, I just wanna free you up to do that. Um, and finally is play. Friends, we take ourselves way too seriously. Um, some of you just need to volunteer in kids ministry this year just because you need to allow our kids to lead you to play better because we become so self-important. And the gift of an intergenerational community is we have people in our midst who can teach us well about that. When we rest, we enjoy our smallness. We enjoy our smallness and we revel in God's bigness. We get to be held in the arms of our Father while he delights in us and declares to us our worth. Our rest points to Jesus as he stretched out his arms on the cross and he declared these words, it is finished. It is finished. With these words, our sins were pray, paid for. His love to us was declared. His promise is secure. Our debts are wiped out. It is finished. And friends, Sabbath always leads us and points to Jesus. And Jesus was called the Lord of the Sabbath, not because he's a guy who really liked to chill out, but because he was the one who accomplished the most necessary, the most vital work in your life. 
Friends, it is finished, so you can rest. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you that in your word we meet with you. As one of our Sabbath rhythms, God, we just open up our lives and we open up your word and we allow you to speak to us. And so, God, as we recall this morning the Ten Commandments and your words to us about resting and taking space for you, God, would you just use that to shape our community? As we enter into this fall, would you allow us to work hard, but also to have periods of rest where we hear from you? God, we repent of the ways that we have gotten too busy, where we have allowed the noise to just block you out. And God, we desire our restfulness to be a sign to those around us of our trust and our dependence on you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's sing together as we close. Reflect on Colleen's message about rest. Um, I again invite you to either stand or sit or pray or continue your practice of silence. As we cry out and admit to God how much we need him and rely on him.
When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope. 